Amen. Well, guys, tonight we begin a new study. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs. So if you have a Bible, you can make your way there to Proverbs chapter 1. Wednesday nights, we work through the Bible, you know, usually making about a chapter, half a chapter a, a week just to try to just track through the whole thing. And so inviting you as we finished up Luke last week and we're diving back in uh, to where we left off in the Old Testament. We finished up Psalms before this. And so once more, we're in Proverbs. If you're joining us online, we want to invite you to join us with the Bible and join us in this space. If you're in the overflow, the same. But I also want to just give you another invitation. Uh, if you're especially here in the sanctuary, you might have recognized when you came in the door, we had our little Bible reading uh, booklets that we hand out every Wednesday night, but everything's changed in it tonight. Uh, if you've been with us before, we, we usually pass them out, and they really are for the following week. They're meant to be in a space that would help you kind of prepare for the next week. But tonight, we're going to try something different. We're going to do, we're at least going to try it. You know, if it works out really terribly, this might be like the only time we try it. But again, we're going to try it tonight. We wanted to give you a booklet for tonight uh, that you would use in the midst of the study. So if you don't have one of those booklets, they're available on the back. You can run back and get them. But we also wanted to tell you, if you're online, we have made them available as well. You can go to our website, go under messages, and you can download the PDF. And if you are so interested, you'll be able to just join us uh, and, and have even this as a resource is we're going to try to use this this evening and see how it works. Well, that's before us. The study's before us. Let's take a moment before we dive in and do what we do each time, though. And let's ask for God's help. Let's ask that He would give us understanding as we dive into the things that He has for us tonight. Father, we thank you for this space, and we thank you for your word. God, I believe that you've given it to us on purpose, and powerfully so. God, would you give us ears to hear those things which you would have for us tonight? Would you give us understanding of those things that you would want to impart to us and help us to, to see? Would you open up our hearts to that in a way that tonight would meet us? as only you can. We ask for that right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, tonight we begin a new study in the book of Proverbs, and sometimes it's just good when you do that just to remind you of where we are. I think about it, but you think about this Bible that you have in your hands or before you, 66 books uh, written by you know, over 40 authors, just that were written on three different continents, but God's speaking through all of them. In all of this, it kind of gives us a, 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 just a massive picture of what God has for us, and maybe you have a good understanding of even how it's laid out, but sometimes it's just a good reminder. We have the Old Testament and New Testament, but they're organized into categories that are helpful for you to follow. We think about the first five books of the Old Testament, often titled the Law or, or the Torah, that really is the, the foundation of much that's there. That would then take you from Joshua to the book of Esther that kind of covers the historical books of the Old Testament, just the layout of history that runs through the entire space of the rest of the Old Testament. That's followed by five books, one of which we'll be in tonight, that are known as poetic books, that they are organized because they are Hebrew poetry, and we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But then that moves us into the prophets. We have the major prophets and the minor prophets, not because they're bigger or smaller, but just because the size of the books. And so that carries us through the entire Old Testament. Into the New Testament, you get the Gospels that 
lay out for us just the life of Christ that then move us into the history and the epistles of the New Testament that Paul writes that then take us into the personal epistles uh, that are a part of that and then lastly to the general epistles that come through all of that. So there's kind of a layout to it that might help sometimes just to kind of navigate to where you are, that when you're thinking about it, you, there is a, a reason for where it's laid out and kind of understanding that. Well, for us, that draws us to the space where we are. We're going to begin the book of Proverbs tonight, and it finds itself in, much, in the midst of what's known as the poetic books of the Old Testament. It's an interesting thing to think about these five books and how they kind of describe almost the entire gamut of heart that would really be in the midst of things that God would do for us. Think about it this way. You have the book of Job that deals with the problem of pain, that deals with the problem of suffering, and huge in our world. That's followed by Psalms, which really is this invitation to just just recognizing God both in worship and in prayer and connection, and powerfully so. 150 of them, definitely a huge section uh, of those poetic sections. That draws us into Proverbs, which is wisdom, which we'll talk about some tonight. Then you have Ecclesiastes that really approaches life from a philosophical, just kind of a different way of looking at life, but very powerfully answering questions that are there. And then that last kind of ends up with the the book of Song of Solomon, which is romance or passion and and just the the wonder that's there. And so you kind of get this interesting place where you see, hey, these five books do a powerful reality of showing us just kind of the way that God would meet us in our hearts and the way that that would flow upon so much that's in the midst of that. And all five of them in that sense are needed and necessary as they flow in different directions. Well, that draws us to a quick understanding, just a reminder that we do know these as Hebrew poetry. And that's a little important. Not like it's going to be massive, but it might be helpful for you to understand. Hebrew poetry is uh, just a form that's used in, in sections of the Old Testament that is very rich in figurative language, emotive, that's meant to kind of connect with you on a level that it would just really draw out just weight that's in the midst of that. And there is a rhyming to it. Hebrew poetry rhymes. But here's the powerful reality. It's not a rhyme of sound. It's a rhyme of thought. Now think that through with me for a moment because that's helpful. If it was a rhyme of sound, then you and I would have no connection. Uh, You probably don't uh, read or speak Hebrew, or if you do, again, that's great, but you would be one of the only ones. And so you would be like, well, I don't get it. I mean, if if it worked like poetry works in the English language, if we were like, you know, roses are red and violets are blue, sugar is sweet and so are you kind of thing, you know, that's kind of the first word that actually roses and red, anyway. Um, But that's the rhyme, right? You get that whole place where things kind of rhyme out in the midst of that. And so you'd be like, well, I'm lost. I, I can't read Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in, but it's not a rhyme of sound. It's a rhyme of thoughts that it's arranged in a way that you're meant to almost just hear the way that they kind of reflect off of each other and and the way that that works. Now, you might find yourself asking, well, Jim, how would I know that? I mean, how would I be the one that understands it? I mean, I'm telling you that, again, these are five poetic books, but there's an added benefit to most of your Bibles. Most of your Bibles lay it out that way. So here's a picture of my Bible that kind of lays it out there, and you might just notice that the way the verses are, are lined out, that each one is indented. And, and when you find that kind of indentation anywhere in the scriptures, it's a picture of it being poetry. Now, that may not be overly helpful because you're looking at Proverbs right now, if you have it open there, and all of it's that way. 
But let me just give it to you in a different section. I'll give it to you in Isaiah, just giving you a quick snapshot out of Isaiah 6. And Isaiah is an interesting one because it moves back and forth between just its didactic nature and then to poetry, and you would be able to see it. When it is kind of didactic, you would get kind of the text that's arranged just fully uh, formatted, side to side. And so you'd be able to see the whole thing, and that's how most of your Bible is, just that it runs from one indentation to the other. But when you kind of get to the places that's indented and, and, and into a way where it, it goes under the lines, that's a way that the, the translators of the Scriptures are letting you know, hey, this is poetry. Like, make sure that you understand you've just crossed from a didactic kind of presentation where it's just information or just words to something you're meant to almost see, just a poetic feel that's flowing across that way. And so it's always an invitation to do that. Now, I thought about just kind of going deeper into that. If you are so interested, there's a lot of deep study kind of, or people that love Hebrew poetry, and we'll talk about the number of different ways that it works. Hebrew poetry, sometimes it's, you know, comparing one thing to another, they're opposites. Sometimes it's just a beautiful statement. Sometimes it's growing, and so there's a lot of different forms of that, but I kind of have a sense that for most of us, it's just going to make sense, as long as we're looking for it, as we're looking for the rhyme. Like, so how does this fit into whatever section it is? Sometimes it's only one verse that is the rhyme. Sometimes it's a bigger section. You're meant to kind of see the beauty of it and to feel it in that poetic sense. And to that, well, again, we want to invite you to this evening. <coughs> so I think about all that that is and stuff that we're going to go into it. So let's go back to our booklet for a moment. So once more, we have our booklet that we're passing out to you guys tonight. And again, we're trying a new format that may or might, may not stay. Again, it's kind of, you know, feedback would be great. If you like it, let me just kind of quickly walk you through what you have. You obviously have the front cover. On the inside, we have uh, Warren Wearsby's commentary, which we have permission uh, from Tom and Nelson Publishers to put you know, one chapter out to you guys a week. It's a great, just kind of a one-volume, uh, one-chapter commentary. Works great in lots of sections of the Bible, just to give you an overview of the whole chapter. Proverbs is a little harder. Nevertheless, we still wanted to put it in there for you. On the back cover uh, of it, you're going to find uh, a place for you just to kind of, just for personal reflection, where somewhere within that, so that, that proverb, you can say, okay, what's speaking to me? Like, what am I going to do with this? And it's, so it's meant to be a place where you notice that, what it means, and how you're going to apply it. And really just inviting you to make that a space where you do that. Now, we think about how this works, and just as a quick FYI, we passed out to you Proverbs 1 tonight. We're not going to make it all the way through Proverbs 1 tonight, so this is also what you're going to use next week. Instead of giving you a booklet for every week, we're going to give you a booklet for every chapter. And so they'll be available always, but again, that's the kind of idea is that if you do follow through Proverbs with us, you'll have 31 of these uh, that will have you the whole book of Proverbs where you're going to be able to make notations and insights. And so that's what it's going to look like. On the inside of it, you're going to find very simply uh, just a page that looks like this. And so you'll find the entire text of Proverbs 1 in the New King James Version. Now we're doing this for you because we're going to invite you just to mark this up like crazy. Uh, maybe more than you would do in your own Bible. Now, if you want to do it in your own Bible, you can do that, but we're just going to invite you to kind of track with us and just make lots of notations and lots of marks and kind of just follow it through. And again, that's a new way we're going to try and again, see how it works. There's also a little space to the right there where you can just kind of put some brief notes that might be a part of that. And then at the bottom, there's a section where you can add st different notes or even just a place where you might have just a picture or a thought that kind of works that way out. One of the interesting things about the way that we study the Bible is some of you, not all of you, 
well, sometimes just a, a quick image or a picture might lock the truth down and make it stick and stay. And so we're giving you kind of space that would kind of work for that. If you have questions on that, I'd love to walk you through that. But again, that's kind of a little bit where we are. So this is our booklet. This is where we're going to begin. We're going to kind of dive into the book of Proverbs, kind of see what it looks like and, and kind of see what happens. And one more time, I just, with the booklet before you, just longing to say, hey, if it works for you, please let us know. If it doesn't, help us know how to make it better because we definitely want to make it effective. Well, before we dive right in, I thought I would kind of give us an overview. And there's probably not a better way to do that than to use one of the videos that the Bible Project put out. Some of you guys follow that on YouTube or are you getting other places? They do a great job of giving just about a, a five-minute overview of books of the Bible. And so we wanted to give you that. We're going to watch that video, and then we'll come back and dive into some of those realities for ourselves as well. So here's the video for you. The Book of Proverbs. The word proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom, and this book has a lot of those. But they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well. And so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now wisdom for most of us means knowledge, but the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also. So think skill or applied knowledge. This is why back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, it was artists and craftsmen in Israel who were said to have chokhmah. So the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. Now this introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are 10 speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. The father warns his son also about folly and evil and stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now these speeches from the Father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, 
But wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. And so, through the book of Proverbs now, these human words about wisdom have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people, which connects to the other thing you find in chapters 1 through 9. There are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe, and so wherever you see people making wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice. They are drawing on wisdom. These Lady Wisdom poems, they're a creative, poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. Now together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice. You're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. And so in the next section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient proverbs, and they apply wisdom and the fear of the Lord to every life topic you could imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt, everything. And these are all filtered through the value system of Proverbs 1 through 9. Now these Proverbs, they're all pretty short. They're easy to memorize. And actually this section of the book is meant to become a reference work that you return to time and time again throughout the years, which raises some important issues in learning how to read these Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear the Lord and you make wise, good choices things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish, your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that Proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some Proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Or, Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life. And raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well, but there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, Proverbs by nature focus on the general rule, but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. This all leads to the final section of the book, two large collections of poems. First, poems from a man named Agur, who begins by acknowledging his own ignorance and folly and his great need for God's wisdom. 
And then Agur discovers that divine wisdom has been given to him in the scriptures, which teach him how to live well. And so Agur is put before us as like a model reader of the book of Proverbs, somebody who's always open to hearing God's wisdom through the scriptures. The final poems are connected to a man named Lemuel. He's a non-Israelite king, and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. It's guidance for being a wise and just leader. And then the final poem is an acrostic or an alphabet poem where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire poem's about the woman of noble character. It depicts a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs and stands like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom and then translates it into practical decisions in everyday life, at work or at home, in her family and in her community. So the book opened with words from a father to a son about listening to Lady Wisdom, and so now the book closes by offering the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. The book of Proverbs is for every person in every season of life. It's a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world, and that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. They just do a good job, don't they? I mean, just that just get really, really helpful. It gives us a good thoughts of where we're going, and some of that we're going to cover tonight. But just as a quick FYI, again, on your booklet, that's what we put on the back cover. So if you're trying to think, well, I wanted to write some of that down, it's there for you. Again, some of you are like, man, that's so small. Well, I know, but you, you can find it online as well. Uh, but you'd be able to kind of see it as just an overview of where we're going. So some of those things are the things that we want to talk about tonight. We want to tackle this first section that's in the book of Proverbs, that is in many ways kind of a description, its own description of an invitation of how we approach this book and those things which we're going to get out of it. And so we want to tackle that together, noting just a few things. Let's just begin with that concept that was dealt with a little bit in the video, that we want to understand the idea of what do we mean by a proverb. Well, let's kind of put this there. I'm going to put there and say, let's look at verse 6 for that. And so you can turn to your second page because it'll give us both a space where it articulates a little bit more, but also space where we can write that there. So in verse 6, it says, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. One of the really important understandings about the book of Proverbs is to understand that it is a proverb, that a proverb by its nature is not a promise. It's not something that always works. It's not something like, if you do this, you will always get this. The Bible is full of promises. It is full of things that are always true. Things like God telling us that He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That's a promise that is always true. But the book of Proverbs intentionally is not that. It's a place where it's letting us things, hey, these things are not always true, but they are generally true. They're good wisdom for how you live life. So we'll go to one of the most famous Proverbs that was in the video there, Proverbs 22, 6, where it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amazing proverb, one that has given hope to so many families, and I hope not to dash that too tremendously here tonight or when we get to there in chapter 20, 22, but please understand this. This isn't a promise. This isn't a promise that if you raise your kids well and take them to church, that they are certainly going to become Christians and everything's going to go well for them. No, that's not true. It doesn't work that way. I don't know how you understand salvation, but understand this. Your raising of your kid is never going to either overwhelm their own free will choice or God's sovereignty. 
There isn't a sense that we, if we do this, we could always guarantee this. Nevertheless, it is good wisdom. Like you want to set your children up for success, you want to do that well, give them good habits. Train them in things that when they could go back to them, it's the most effective way to do that. And it generally can be a very powerful reality that works into the lives of kids, but it's not a promise. Again, if you held it as a promise, it would be incredibly disappointing. There would be so many godly families that said, well, we tried. Where do we go wrong? Or ones that talk about success in business, like if you do a good job, you're going to stand before kings. What about the person that doesn't? Or the one that was talked about there that, you know, if you, if you do what's right, long life happens. What if that doesn't happen? I mean, that there's a way of, again, understanding these are not promises that are always true, but they're general realities. They're ways that help us understand life, ways that help us to go, okay, this is good practical wisdom. Like, this is ways where we get to figure out how to do life. It is, in that sense, different than knowledge. Knowledge all by itself is just a a factual thing, where wisdom becomes a place where it's inviting us to know how to do life, how to navigate ourselves in the midst of different situations. So that's the first thing that we need to just understand, that by its very nature, this book is not coming to you and giving you promises. It's giving you wisdom. It's giving you Proverbs. The second thing we want to just quickly highlight is, again, how it begins. You get it there in verse 1 where it just tells us, you know, that the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. That's just a powerful beginning. It lets us know that Solomon is the one who does this. And one of the things that's really important for us to grab in there is, biblically, he is let known to us that he is the wisest man ever. I mean, the wisest man that would ever be there. Now, we know that because God says so. So let me just kind of just draw your attention to as we think about this. But I ought to quickly ought to say, except Jesus. I mean, that obviously makes sense. And in fact, the Bible specifically says this, that Jesus exceeds the wisdom of Solomon. But in the realm of human beings, Solomon is the wisest man that has ever lived. Gives it to us this way. In 1 Kings 3, It says that Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? At the beginning of his reign, he has this incredible dream from God, and God's like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? If I gave you something, what is it? And Solomon asked for wisdom. And and a longer kind of request, he, he asked God to give him wisdom, and God answers, and he says, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you nor shall any like you arise after you. This is God's stamp on him. I mean, he says, you are going to be the wisest person that has ever lived, more than anybody who came before you, more than anybody who came after you. Now, quick FYI, I probably ought to just quickly say this. Some of you you know the Bible, you're like, wait wait a second. Solomon, you know, he didn't always live that way. I mean, he he ends up doing some really dumb things. Well, yeah, that's true. Just because you know the right thing to do doesn't mean that you always do it. But nevertheless, he had it. He knew the right thing to do. God gave him that wisdom. Now, again, Jesus is greater than that. I like when Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 20, 12. He says it this way. He says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. That talks about this, this queen of the south that hears of, of Solomon's wisdom. She travels long distances to put herself in that place, to hear what he has to say. And Jesus says that, in that to see all of that, to know that Christ is so much greater and indeed true. 
Nevertheless, we can just go back to Solomon and understand that it says that God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding, largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs are 1,005. Now, not all of these are ended up in the scriptures, and so not all of them are inspired by the Spirit, but nevertheless, he wrote so much wisdom. And it tells us that all the nations, men from all the nations, from the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. You almost have to imagine this for a moment. I mean, in his generation, it just became known that here is this man that has wisdom, that really understands how to live, how to face life, and people from the entire world made their way to hear him, to hear what he had to say, to sit at his feet, to ask him questions, and and they did all of that, and all of that's just kind of an invitation to you and I that the book of Proverbs is worth your hearing that what you have here is something that's just incredibly weighty. I mean, just in a way that for so many of us, if we could recognize this is what I need, need to know how to handle life, how how to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. I mean, I need wisdom. And, And there's a sense that God is saying, here it is, that this book is being given to you and to I in a way that we get to dive into that, that we get to see what that is. Okay, so proverb we understand. Solomon, we understand he's the source of it. Now let's just kind of dive in. We think about a little bit what's here, and we want to look at this section. So I don't know how you want to do it. You don't have to do this the way, and I probably ought to point this out. I'm giving you this, and if you have a different way that you want to put notations on it, do it. This is yours. In fact, I'd love to know. I mean, if there's better ways to kind of mark this out, do that with me. But I want you just to think about this section, again, because a lot of the proverbs, they are once we get to chapter 10, they stand alone, like every verse almost will be its own, but not so here they move in sections, and this is a section. So however you do it, you can do it. I'm going to put just a couple kind of brackets around up at the beginning in verse 2, and then on your second page, put a bracket at the bottom of 7 to kind of say, hey, this section stands. There's a poetic section that is moving from verse 2 to verse 7 that is explaining to us in God's words what this is for us. And again, if you wanted to put a circle around the whole thing, or you wanted to put boxes around it, or whatever would work, somehow I want you just to, if it works for you to kind of just mark out that we want to think about this section moving from verse 2 down to verse 7 as really an invitation to understand what the book of Proverbs is to us and where that goes. So let's go into it. So what I want to do now is just want to invite you to notice the words. We're going to begin there in verse 2, and I'm going to invite you to circle all the words that describe this in this section, that all the words, and we'll give you some definitions, which you don't have to write down, but you can if you want to, but we just want to go through and just hear what it is. And so, again, just to, to, to do that, but before we do that, let's just read the whole thing together. So, beginning there in verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we begin just to go through it and note the words, the way that God describes this for you. So you begin there in verse 2, and he calls it wisdom, calls it instruction. He says that they are to perceive words of understanding. 
This, so there, in verse 2, he gives us a few things. He says, this is wisdom for us. And we've already seen that a little bit in the video that the Bible Project did, but it has the idea of skill for living. It's not promises. The idea of, of, of wisdom, the word chokmah in, in the Hebrew, is this idea of skillful, just being able to do life well, like handle situations well. He adds to it, he says, to know wisdom and instruction. That's the word discipline. Discipline, not the kind of discipline that means like, hey, I'm disciplined with my life, but the kind of thing of correction, of, of being chastised. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, people, if you ever, you know, heard people talk about wisdom, it's like, how do you learn how to make good decisions? Sometimes it's by making bad decisions, you know, and, and being disciplined. And so that's what this is. He's going to show us things like, okay, this is how we've been corrected. We, we've gone to understand, and so we're going to find wisdom, skill for living. We're going to find instruction, and we're going to find understanding, which is a Hebrew word that speaks of fully, of just being able to put it together, of, of a comprehension where it's like, oh, I see how things are flowing. I understand how this part flows with that part. So we get the beginning of it, but he continues. Go to verse 3. In verse 3, he's going to tell us that we not only see that it's those, he says it's instruction, he says it's wisdom, he says it's justice and judgment and equity. So we, we look at these, these ones, these five words in this one that kind of continues to tell us, hey, this is what this book is about. It's to give us ways where we would receive instruction. And just if you are kind of following, that's actually the same word that was found in verse 2, that's discipline. So it's still, this is, and this way he says, hey, we're going to get things that correct us when we're doing the wrong thing, that draw us back into it so we can find out what God has for us, and that would be wisdom. Now, again, this is the problem. In English, that's, we use that same word. It's a different Hebrew word that's used in verse 2, and it really has the idea of having insight, of having, being able to do the right thing, to act with an ability of understanding what you're doing and understanding where that's going. And very specifically in this context, he gives us three words, justice, judgment, and equity. Justice has the idea of that which is right and ethical. Now, that's an important one to understand, and we live in a definitely a time and space where people talk a lot about this, like what justice is and, and, and what that looks like. But again, here's the thing. We want to get to what God says is just, when God says, okay, this is the right thing, this is, this is the right way to handle situations, that would include judgment, which kind of these three go together. So you have justice, which is ethical, judgment, which is that which would be not wrong, not illegal, uh, not, not something that would be the wrong thing to do, but it would go further into the idea of treating things with equity doing things where there is a sense of, of just a beauty to it. In fact, this word itself is a very beautiful word in the Hebrew. It has the idea of this level path, but that's not a great way of saying it. It's almost like this, this picture of something just flowing just right. Uh, the idea of it's like that just, that just, that just that hits everything, wow. It just it, it lands, it goes across, and it's a beautiful place where you say, hey, you're, you're, you're handling it all together. Now, again, I pause and say this is one of those big deals. I mean, if we could sit there and say, you know, what's kind of one of the big rubs in our world right now is these are the issues. Like, what, what is right? What is just? What is racially equitable? What is, you know, equitable in, in, in genders? What's, what's, what's the right thing to do? And what's powerful is that's what God's going to give us his take on it. The book of Proverbs is going to say this is how you do that. There is a right way to do that. 
They're, they, these words are not meant to be like, hey, we just, that's never, there is a right way. There's a biblical ethic that flows out of it. And so Proverbs tells us, hey, he wants to show us that, that these would be the things that he has for us. Now, honestly, as we kind of work through that, you know, there in those first couple verses, they're really the strong part of this section that describe what this is. Verse 2 and 3, those words kind of big pictures give us pictures of that. Nevertheless, we still have just kind of a repetition. So I'm not going to give you definitions, but we do just want to continue this idea of circling every word that is describing the wisdom that's found here in the book of Proverbs. So you just keep going. You get down to verse 4, and he says, we're going to get its prudence, the idea of being able to know that. It's going to be the idea of knowledge and discretion. It's going to be the idea of increasing or, or, or knowing those things which are, are learning and the things that God would have for us. We flip over on the next page and kind of pick it up there as it keeps going, and, and we see it, and it's going to be a place of saying, hey, that's wise counsel. It's like having somebody just tell us, give us the right kind of just counsel me. Tell me the right thing to do. He says, that's going to be found here. They're going to be things where they're enigmas, where we deal with things that's like, that is so troubling to me. Those are, those are issues that are confusing. He says, those are things that are going to be found in here. How to understand that, how to understand the words of the wise and their riddles, how to kind of track through so many of the things that can be so complicated. He says, these are there so that we could understand all of those. He gives it to us also in verse 7, where he just simply says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise, he says, wisdom and instruction. Now, if you've done this, if you've just done what I've just encouraged you to do, just to circle all the words that speak about it, you should obviously feel it. It's like, man, what, a, what, what words are just flowing to say, hey, this is what I'm offering you. This is what Proverbs is. This is why you should want it, because of all that's found here, I mean, this massive trove of wisdom and justice and knowledge and prudence and, and wise counsel and the ability to understand, these are the kind of things where he's inviting you and I to that. So again, I don't know where this is landing for you, but one of the things I just want you know, to do is, is, as I thought I would just encourage some, whether, again, I keep doing this or not, I just am not positive I will, but I do sometimes think in, in, in small pictures, and so if I were to pause right here and at the bottom of your first page and think, okay, how do I picture that? I mean, what does this look like? And for me, it's this idea of just this treasure chest. That's as if to say, you know, here is this massive treasure chest of wisdom for everything necessary for godly living. It's like, here this is. I mean, like, here's a treasure house of this source of wisdom. So that, you know, again, whether you do that that way or you have a better picture, do it on your own, or you don't want to do any picture, but somehow I'm just wanting you to pause and think if, you've, if you could just see it on your page and just see all the words that right now are offering to you wisdom. I mean, God's wisdom. It should be that space of recognizing, wow, I mean, God is offering us wisdom. And think about all that that is, and I think about kind of the, the, the way that that works and, and, and the wonder that would be there, and it becomes just this powerful reality of so longing that that's exactly where we would go, that that would be the understanding of, uh, of those things that God would give us and, and those things that would be a part of everything that's there. So we're thinking about this, uh, of all that this would be. We're thinking about just the nature of wisdom, the nature of what's been offered to us. So let's change tactics now. Let's go back, and this time, uh, let's note the words that describe how he's going to give it to us. 
And so this time I'm going to underline. Again, if you have colors, if you have better ways of underlining, I'd love to know what they are. But we just want to look here, especially in these first uh, three verses, verses two, three, and four, and notice how he's offering to do this for us. He says, you know, here's so you could know. You could, you could know wisdom instruction. You could perceive it. You would be able to, to see it and, and, and understand it, to perceive the words and understanding that you would receive uh, the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. And he says he would give it to us. He says, I want to give you this. And so it's fun just to kind of watch this and say, he's, here's how he's offering to give this to us, that he's saying, hey, I want you to know it. I want you to know it so you can see it, so you can see everything that's there. But it's worth, again, understanding. It's a place where we're receiving it from him, that he's offering to give this to this. I think that's powerful. You know, again, I just paused and just wanted to tell you God is. I mean, certainly that's the book of Proverbs to us, but it's the heart of God that He would be one that does this. So think about how He gives it to us in the book of James. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's this amazing invitation that God gives to us. He says, so do you, do you, do you want some wisdom? Do you not know how to do life the way you ought to do it? Do you, are you one that would say, God, I, I would like to know how to do things better, handle situations better, handle people better, handle life better? God says, ask me. Ask me. And I give it. I give it liberally. I don't, I don't make fun of you. I don't make you feel bad for asking. There's no reproach in that. There's a space where, where God would meet you and draw you into everything that's there, and he would invite you into this. And it says, God would give you that that he would be the one that would grant you favor, and he would be the one that would work that. And so again, I want you to almost feel that, that that's definitely God's offer to us, but partly that's what he's giving you in the book of Proverbs. He's telling you, here's what I want to do. I want you to see it. I want you to know it. I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you in a way that that would be understanding for for what you would have, and, and that that would be things that would come in a way that would meet you right where you are. And, and it's a powerful reality where, again, God is offering this to you, and I'm just wanting to hold it out to you tonight and say it's certainly there's a place where we ought to be the ones that recognize that's exactly what we need. Okay, so we're thinking through this invitation to the book of Proverbs. We're thinking through what we have. We've talked about a proverb, right? We've talked about Solomon. We've looked at the words that describe it. We've looked at how God gives it, but he also gives us a perspective on how you're going to receive it, like who's going to get this. And he gives us three different terms that describe how that works, the kind of people that are going to respond to this, and it's going to be that way throughout the entire book of Proverbs. It begins there in verse 4, where he says, he would give prudence to the simple, to the young men, knowledge and discretion. He says, first of all, I would give this to those who are simple. That's a good understanding that much of the book of Proverbs is geared towards one that would find themselves that way. The idea of simple has the idea of not of an insult. It's not meant to be, uh, you know, we would think about it and we'd call somebody simple-minded or something and we, we take that as a derogatory term. It's not really that in the book of Proverbs. It's somebody that doesn't really know yet. Um, they're undecided. They're in a place where they're inexperienced, but there's an openness. It's not, it's not, they're not closed to it. They just don't know yet what that is. And so much of the book of Proverbs is geared toward that kind of person. 
And one of the invitations for us is to say, that's the kind of person we're supposed to be. You know, I think about it, you know, in the video it talked about that in chapter 30 you get this picture of this man named Agur who, who comes into this whole thing with incredible wisdom, and he just begins it by just admitting his ignorance. He says, surely I must be more stupid than any other man. <laughs> like, I just, I just got to admit I need help. Like, I, I'm going to admit that I'm that person that says, God, give me wisdom. And so this book is written to us as the simple, the one who comes this way, who's open, who's open to that. They're going to find wisdom. They're going to find this space. But there's also another description that is the idea of somebody who's wise, somebody who has begun growing in God's ways and has understood His ways, He says, this book is going to be for you as well. So maybe you find yourself saying, well, Jim, I don't think I'm simple-minded. I mean, I know it's not meant to be an insult, but I've grown in God's ways, and there's a lot that I do understand. Well, good. The book of Proverbs is still for you. Because He says, if that's that person, a wise man, who's going to hear this, and, and their knowledge is only going to increase. Their wisdom is only going to continue to grow. In fact, you can flip the page over because I had to kind of separate the verse, and he just continues to say that a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. So it's an invitation. It's an invitation to say, okay, for the simple, they, there's, there's possibilities here. It's not a guarantee because the simple could go either way. It can go either way. The wise will grow into greater wisdom through the book of Proverbs. But the third category that he draws before us is the idea of someone who is a fool. He says it down there in verse 7 where he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're going to find this term all the way through the book of Proverbs, where there is going to be this just description of someone that the book of Proverbs is going to say is a fool. When we think about that, understand this, the idea of a fool is the exact opposite of wisdom. The exact opposite of doing the right thing and doing it well, it's as if they do the wrong thing in every situation. But what makes the fool even worse is they're not open. That maybe is the differentiation between the simple. The simple didn't know, didn't know better, didn't, didn't know how to handle the situation, didn't know how to handle something, and they handled it wrong but there's growth there. But for the fool, he says, you know, fools despise it. They despise wisdom instruction like they're not, they're not even open to learning. And God's going to say, hey, this is not going to work for you. That the book of Proverbs is not going to meet you in a way that would give you the understanding that's needed. So again, it's just kind of a simple kind of description, but it's worth just pausing. You are one of those three. Everybody in this room, Everybody watching online right now, you fall into one of those categories. Either you fall into the one where you just would admit, like, I, <laughs> I'm simple. Like, I just don't know how to do things well. I get confused so easy. The world gets me upside down. I find it, figure out that I handle situations wrong and people wrong. When it comes to life, I feel unwise. If that's you, I just want to tell you, if you know that, that's not a bad thing but then you need this book. You ought to be like, I want help because <laughs> I need to know how to do this. And if that's you, then hear this. I do know I'm speaking to some that are wise. You've grown in God's wisdom, that you've grown in His truth, that the book of Proverbs and the things, they're not going to be like brand new insights. Like, I didn't know that. Like, if I had known, I would have handled life differently. You're going to be like, I've learned some of this, but I need to grow. And the wise will continue to doing it. So you are hopefully, I, I would say it this way, in one of those two categories. But the third is also possible. And if that's you, then I'm just telling you the scary thing is that this becomes a place where it's not going to help you at all. 
because you've already decided. You think you know how to do life better than you don't need help. You don't need anybody's help. You, you're, you can handle it on your own. Uh, you know how to handle time and relationships and people, and, and you don't need God's help, and you don't need His wisdom, and you are in a terrible place. Now, I say that not as a condemnation, but an invitation. God still rescues fools. God still saves people. If you could re- see that even now and say, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Jim. I'm not even interested. I don't even find myself thinking, that's exactly what I need then I I hope you would hear that it's not going to work for you, but enough to hear that maybe God could rescue you out of this, that there would be a sense of saying, hey, that's not the person we need to be because it causes us to miss everything that's there. Okay, one more thing. So we've seen a number of things. We've seen what a proverb is, right? We, We know what that is. We see Solomon did it. We see the descriptions that are found there. We see how that works. We see who's going to be receiving that wisdom. But maybe one of the big keys is where this section ends, and that place there in verse 7 might be such a well-known verse, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's a place where God invites us to the very fountain of it, this understanding where He says, okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. We, we need to just make sure we understand that because it's a key phrase now. It's going to be that way throughout the book of Proverbs. It becomes everything that God has for us, and it's not describing fear in the sense of being scared. He's not saying, hey, the person who's scared of God is, is no, the idea is the person who recognizes God as God. There's one God, and, and He's it, and He's the one that designed life. He's the one that designed us. He's the one that knows how to do life better than anybody else does. So the fear of God is this place where we recognize who He is, where we recognize, hey, God is God. Like, He's the, the, the one that is the source of all wisdom. He's the, the one that we desperately need, and He's calling you and I to that. Now, he tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning of that. Now, understand, that's not like, you know, the beginning and then you can go past this. It's the idea of it being the source of all of that wisdom, it being the start or the foundation, or it being the idea of everything that's built on this. And so, simply put, if you don't begin with this, the fear of God, then you never get the wisdom of God. Because everything that God is offering to us in the book of Proverbs flows out of this reverence and this, hey, God, you're good and your ways are good and you know better and you're wise. You don't have that. You'll never get any other part of it. That everything flows out of that. I find myself thinking about how powerful that is. And I think about even Jesus when he would say it in a similar way. Many of you guys know that place in the, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is speaking And he simply says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who would build his house on a rock. If if you listen to me, then you're wise. You'll, You'll be like a person who builds his house on a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. He says, if you get this, then it's going to be, you're going to be stable in the midst of sometimes even chaos and calamity in the midst of the world, but there's a, there's a strong foundation if you will hear what I have to say. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And you just need to hear Jesus is using the same metaphor. 
You're either wise or you're foolish. If you'll hear him and do what he says, there's wisdom, but you reject him, reject who he is and, and his words, you'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus is speaking the same language, calling us to this understanding that what we desperately need is him. What we need to be in that place is saying, okay, God, I recognize my need for you. I recognize who you are, and I desperately, desperately need that truth. But if you lack this, if you won't have this, if you reject God, then you miss this. In fact, Proverbs says it may be better than anything else could. So I'll just take you back to, to a proverb later. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 7, he says, like the legs of a lame man that hame limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. He says, you know, someone who is a fool, who will not acknowledge God and, and won't live their lives in, in front of him, it doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for you. The proverb itself, it, 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 it's, it's lame. It doesn't have power or strength or ability to, to move your life if you, if you have this place of rejecting him. So it's calling us into that space that, that he is desperately what we need. And that's just a good place for us to land tonight, to say that certainly as we move into the book of Proverbs, there's a sense that we, he's inviting us to him, to this place of acknowledging him. And so at the bottom of the page there, on page two, I'll put one of my little doodles that are in the midst of it. Yours might be different, and I was just thinking of different ways to kind of put this out, and so I just kind of did it like a power plug and the idea of saying, okay, the fear of the Lord is, is everything. Wisdom flows from that, but you don't plug into that, then it doesn't work. Nothing works without being, you know, saying, okay, it, everything flows out of this place of saying, God, you are God and I need you, and I desperately just want to acknowledge that, and he's inviting you is inviting me into that space. So there you are. That's the beginning of the invitation to the book of Proverbs. That's what we have. So hopefully it works. Hey, let us know if, if there's better ways to kind of use a booklet for you. If it did work for you, we'll probably continue to morph and develop this if we, if we work through this. But there is an invitation to you to, to grow in God's wisdom. So that's our invitation. So let's take a moment right now. Let's pray and ask that God would grow us in his wisdom. God, I thank you for tonight, and I thank you for this launch into the book of Proverbs. I thank you for your introduction, your invitation that tells us what you would do for us in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom, understanding, justice, equity, prudence. Lord, I think about how good this is, and I want to come and for myself acknowledge I need that. I need help. Lord, I'm asking for wisdom. I'm asking from, from you that you would grow me to be a man that wisely handles life and handles situations and admit great need in that regard. God, I pray for us that you would draw us to that. And yet as you draw us to that, I acknowledge right now that is not just a, a drawing to information. It's a drawing to you to say that knowledge flows out of the fear of God, flows out of acknowledging you for who you are, just living life in awe and recognition that you're God and you're good and you're right and you're wise and you know what's best to humble ourselves to you and say, God, I want wisdom from you. Would you draw us to that? Would you teach us to be a wise people? Would you grow us in your ways and work your good work in us? We pray for that tonight as we just acknowledge you and want to be those who are in awe of you.
We ask for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.